Hello, everyone. Since this is either a highlight, a standalone book, or the first episode in a series, I'm jumping in to remind you what the rules are for this podcast. First rule is no real people stories. That means that any details from our own lives are merely anecdotal. We do not read books about real people, and we are not reading historical fiction. The second rule is that we are basing our analyses off of how the author treats characters and what they put them through. We are not judging the accuracy of the trauma, the accuracy of any actual conditions that may be portrayed, nor the authenticity of a character's reaction to that trauma or that particular condition. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The hosts are not trained professionals, and their opinions come solely from personal experience. In this episode, we discuss fictional depictions of trauma and violence that may not be suitable for all audiences. Please take care of yourselves. Specific content warnings for each episode can be found in the show notes. Events in the media are discussed in approximate order of escalation. This episode contains spoilers. And I'm Robin, and this time on Books That Burn, we are discussing The Storyteller's Daughter by Cameron Doki. Uh, From the publisher, we have this description. In a faraway kingdom, a king has been betrayed. Deeply hurt and bitterly angry, he vows never to be deceived again. Unfortunately, the king's plan to protect himself will endanger all of the realm's young women, unless one of them will volunteer to marry the king and surrender her life. To everyone's relief and horror, one young woman steps forward, the daughter of a legendary storyteller. Shahrazad believes it is her destiny to accept this risk and sacrifice herself. On the night of her wedding to the king, Shahrazad begins to weave a tale. Fascinated, the king lets her live night after night. Just when Shahrazad dares to believe she has found a way to keep her life and an unexpected love, a treacherous plot will disrupt her plan. Now she can only hope that love is strong enough to save her. So we are uh, replacing the uh, list of characters with reading the thing from the publisher. And I think it's going to go well, because now you know a little bit of what the story is before we proceed to not talk about the (laughs) plot very much. So our first topic is power imbalance. Uh. Did you want to start us off on this, Nikki? Sure. Uh, so the power imbalance that comes up the most in this book is between the king and his brand new bride. Uh, a little bit of setup here. So uh, Sherazad is blind and also potentially, theoretically, going to die in the morning as well as being the brand new bride of the ruler of their country. So she has about four different things uh, that take her down and put her under the take, take, take away her ability to be in control of the situation essentially and hand it over to the king. Uh, There's a couple of memorable moments in their first actual 
time spent together where the king just is surprised that Sherazad doesn't just do something for herself. Uh, there's one moment where he just invites her verbally to partake in their food that was brought and doesn't help her, doesn't tell her what there is, doesn't assist her at in at all. And she just turns listening to him and he goes, it, it's just this whole um, moment where he realizes what he just he just did. He just left her to fend for herself in a situation where it's his room, his apartments. He knows what the setup is. He knows what the room is. He knows what was brought for their food and just didn't help her. And it didn't even, it didn't even occur to, occur to him. It's, it's not even like they were at a restaurant or no. like, no, he is like, I am the king. There is food in the room. <laughs> Good uh, luck. And she's like, <laughs> and she's great. She's also, like, all right, cool. I don't even know. She doesn't even necessarily know where the table is or if it's on a table you know there, there's no information that he gives to her at all um but it's this very it's it's there's about three or four of those um in that one scene where you know the king just makes a statement and as though Sherazad has the ability to just do something and she right. can't uh, like, he just he expresses surprise that she doesn't just invite her sister to come hang out with them, and she says something along the lines of, "Well, I I can't. This is I don't. And you know, you're in charge. It's here. not even. It's not like she got echolocation when the fever took her eyesight. Like, <laughs> no. I mean, no. But like, that's just an example. You know, right? That's like, yeah. I mean, like they didn't like do a room tour. Like, no, soup, he didn't tell like, her anything. <laughs> he led her the, to the couch. She sat down. That's the only thing in the room she even knows is there. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, he, he didn't even do the like, this is now where you're going to be kind of a tour that you'd give regardless of someone being sighted or not. Yeah. Nope. Nothing. Because, I mean, the expectation is that she's going to die tomorrow, so it's not <laughs> like he needs to give her a tour of where everything is. And then right. he proceeds to have this entire interaction. Like, if if there were no other power imbalances, the fact that he has declared she's going to die tomorrow is enough to completely warp all the rest of the situation. Like, there's so many power imbalances that when Nicole was listing the relevant ones, she didn't even list the age gap. We don't know no, what I the didn't. numbers You're are, right. <laughs> but it's implied based on, like, yeah. her being at least his second wife and, like, you yeah. know, who he'd been with for a while. Like, there's all these reasons for us to believe she is at least hopefully, 10 years hopefully an older teenager. We don't know. I, like, we, I always had the impression seems, that she was, like, very early 20s and he was at least in his 30s yeah like there's it, they don't actually tell you in the book but that was the impression that i got from he's already factors. he like i mean it's a situation where like we don't we don't know what it, the age gap is no. I, i'm kind of assuming there is one because he seemed like he was a kid who was significantly older than her well, as a kid during a, the interaction in the backstory. He was a teenager when she was a child. Right. So like, um, again, maybe like a 10 year gap, like five and 15 or six and 16. That's what I kind of assumed. 
Yeah, but like yeah. it, it doesn't it doesn't go into that. No. And we're not I'm not necessarily trying to like harp on that specifically, but just no. like there are so many power imbalances that like the age difference, which is I think the second most obvious one after or what just would normally and- what would normally be the second most obvious one right. after king and subject mm-hmm. is usually age gap and no it doesn't even matter there's so many other things in here and um yeah and the the situation with with the food is just an example of how the king doesn't even really he he doesn't even consider his own power in a space it doesn't even occur to him um he just lives like that and that's just how he is and it's it's so interesting. So this is something else that I, I kind of thought of in preparation for talking about this topic. Um, the king's first wife was the sister of the king or the of the sister of the previous kings um, in a land that his father had conquered. So mm-hmm. he was a king or a prince at the time and married a princess or an ex-princess. So Scheherazade is really his first well his first wife who is not from that status is not used to wielding that same power that he is um yeah i mean even like he just doesn't interact with people who don't have that that ability to just wield um that control over their environment and so you know there's there's even a there's a moment where you know he says something and her response is well i'm gonna die tomorrow so why would i bother (laughs) and he's just oh no like again just this whole what have i done i'm doing this all wrong because the thing is that like and we'll talk about this when we get to our third topic Mm -hmm. but or sorry our second topic of the infidelity Mm -hmm. but his wife cheating on him is almost definitely the first time he has felt helpless in a significant way. Uh, I'm not yeah, saying nothing's accurate. happened to him, but it is the first one that is notice notable enough to show up in this particular version of the narrative. Yes. Um, regardless of whether the real life version of a person in this situation would have had other things, mm-hmm. narratively, he hasn't had other things. And so he has been made to feel helpless one time, um, in a way that he has been told is going to keep happening and it's going to keep feeling this way. Mm-hmm. And he fundamentally doesn't want, he has, he has so forcibly rejected the one time he's been made to feel helpless that he has decided to kill as many women as it takes mm-hmm. <laughs> to never feel that way again. And still, doesn't seem to have any understanding of how much and how often just by being next to him, other people (laughs) are made to feel helpless. Like he understands, I assume generally what that does for him when he tries to make people have that feeling, but he doesn't understand what it feels like and the way that that exerts power in situations other than him literally giving an order. I would argue that he doesn't understand mm-hmm. for th- for two reasons. One being 
that everything we see of the description of the his father and brother and him and their rule and how they treat their subjects, uh, he's not out to make people feel helpless. That's not really a goal. Uh, mm-hmm. His goal is to uplift his people and have them have pride in being his people. So that's probably not a an experience that he's used to passing on to people. Um, and the second reason I think this is because he is surprised when the brothers of his dead wife would have any animosity toward him literally whatsoever. He doesn't understand. He doesn't understand... He doesn't even understand why they would have a problem with him now being in charge of them. <laughs> like, just does not does not even occur to him, absolutely confuses him. You know, his mm-hmm. father conquered their land and now they're better off. Why are they mad? Just Sorry, no I might have clue. been projecting a little bit from another series that I've been reading. Mm-hmm. I have spent the last uh, bunches of weeks absorbed in the Kate Daniels books. And I've read like three of them in between reading this book and our record. <laughs> okay. Um, and so I was thinking of the like ruler, a, a ruler figure in that book um, mm. when I was like, knows how to feel helpless. And I'm like, and uh, no, you're right. This guy, nope, not hasn't had that at all. Now, to be not fair, a bit. to be fair, he tries to be the best ruler, the most benevolent king that he can be he's right. you know he's he's not inflicting harm just because he just doesn't get it and so he's just doing evil like that's not what's going on um but but in this in this instance like it's just not an experience that he tries to cultivate for himself or mm-hmm. for others and so you know when it happens by his own decree he just doesn't know what to do and it doesn't even occur to him that he has the power to just reverse it instantly. Not, yeah, a, not a clue. This feels like the kind of setting that like has a default assumption that power bestows competency. Um, <laughs> that the characters would have yeah. this assumption. The, yeah, the narrator yeah, yeah. definitely uh, does not. No, absolutely. But like the characters having the thought that power bestows competency. And like, I do think that a part of the arc of this story is them finding out that it doesn't. Um, yeah a little bit but yeah like he doesn't know what he doesn't know and (laughs) isn't in a position that would encourage him to figure out that there could be a thing that he didn't know that matters Mm -hmm. because i'm sure he might not know how to wash dishes but he probably also wouldn't think that that matters right if that makes sense it does yeah but at the same time he doesn't want to mistreat the people who are washing the dishes. Yeah, no, no, this yeah. this guy, no, he he doesn't, but he also somehow doesn't <laughs> think of I'm going to murder one of your daughters every month as mistreating well, because no, as that's, I said power because that's, that's the, the whole thing. thing. He's deci- that's right, the whole that's thing. a thing he's decided he, to do that he has the right to do and therefore it is right to do. But he and also he's doesn't, doing it. He also doesn't think it through is the thing. Oh no. He yeah. he says he makes the decree and that decree shocks his brother because it is so out of character. Mm-hmm. It's just him lashing out in pain and doesn't he doesn't care, probably probably for the first time in his life, does not care who it hits. And then when he is faced with the reality of that decision, when Sherazad is his new bride in his apartments and he suddenly realizes that he's going to get to know her tonight, 
and then she'll die. Like he mm-hmm. doesn't know what to do <laughs> because and the next- it does hit him that he has made this decree and Sherazad brings it up a couple of times and basically says like, well, you know, this is what you've decided. And he just kind of panics because that isn't actually what he, that's not the kind of person that he thought he was. And it's not the kind of person he wanted to be. And he doesn't know what to do with the repercussions because he does care. And it, and then he just kind of panics and goes, okay, well, you know, I have a reason to, to let you live tonight. We'll just, I'll, I'll figure it out later. Like he, we, we get a moment where he's in his own head. Like, okay, I don't, I, okay, you'll live for tonight and I'll figure it out later and I'll deal with it later and I won't deal with it now. Yeah. On to our next topic, which is infidelity. All right. So both brothers' wives cheated on them. Um, We have this kind of like... uh, story segment that pauses from the main action to do this whole backstory bit about how both of them had their wives cheat on them. Um, uh, Sherrard's or Sherrard's brother took it a bit better than he did. Like, I don't know, like the story isn't about him. So I don't know that he took it well, but it would be hard to take (laughs) it worse than Sharer did. Um, like. Oh, did we not write down his name? I got it. I found it. Okay. I was getting it. Um, My book is near me, but a few feet away. Yeah. Shazaman. Yeah. Shazaman. Um, he was hurt, but from the little we see in the book, it seems like he is at least dealing with it in a healthier way. Yeah, you know, like, just hanging out in his kingdom, not deciding he's going to marry people and kill them every month. You know, <laughs> how you do. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So, one of the... Okay, so... The, so... The, the idea... Okay, for the infidelity as a trauma, like, it is a driving thing in the book. Because all of what Scherer is doing is to not be cheated on again. And it's not, it, it cannot be about, um, it's one of those things where it's like, it's not about sex, it's about power. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not. It, it it doesn't, like, if he was trying to have one person to be true to him forever, he wouldn't have his plan be to marry a new person every month. <laughs> yeah. Like, not, like, I'm totally cool with polyamory, polygamy, whatever. That's not what this is. No. It's not. It doesn't have anything to do with attraction. This is, like... <laughs> Yeah, this this is serial mar- marriage murder <laughs> pact. Yeah, it's it's like in the category of like you know, <sighs> there's things that have shown up in other fiction that I've read where people have done interesting loopholes to do legalistic things and get around stuff. Mm-hmm. And there was a book 
where it was mentioned that people would temporarily marry the prostitute and then divorce them in the morning so that technically none of it was out of wedlock. Like, that's the the kind of weird loophole, but in a different circumstance that this is. Yeah. Um, but, like, turned up to 11. Like, it's that's it's that kind of category of, well, I only ever sleep with someone I'm married to, but I also am, can't be comfortable getting close to anyone ever. So I have to kill them in order to have intimacy. But then the intimacy that he can have is curtailed by the plans for the morning that they both totally know about the whole time. Like, I just... <sighs> sleep well, I will kill you in the morning. Works in Princess Bride when they're not <laughs> sleeping together. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Like it doesn't. It's not. It's not good. Yeah. So those. Those. Are, that's my kind of just initial reaction to this as a thing. Um. I don't know what other thoughts you had about it. Um. I think that the narrative parallels are interesting. Um. Between Shereyar and his brother Shazaman. And between Shorear and, um, well, between his first wife and Shahrazad. Mm hmm. And it, it's, I, I think it's really well constructed. And I also think that from a trauma perspective, the descriptions of the, the, uh, almost called it betrayal it is but it, that's not the, we're, what we're <laughs> what we've labeled the, the topic so i try to try to keep language consistent um the the descriptions of the infidelity are not like in the middle of intercourse for example um mm -hmm. it's just people conspiring in a garden talking together both times it's very very pulled back it's very like and this happened um so from a from a trauma perspective it's not a whole drawn out anything yeah it was indicating the level of intimacy they must have but yeah. not having an explicit description of it um yeah i mean and it, it does and at no point are you the audience member going through it with the character at all no and, like, part of that is definitely because, like, this is YA and written in a storybook style. Um, and the rules are different this for is YA, YA books. Yes, this is YA. Oh, I didn't know that. I mean, YA is a marketing category. And so it, like, there's generally and, like, a publisher agreed upon rules where if we put the, if they put the YA label on it, then if certain topics are in there, then the book is about that topic, where an adult book can just, like, have stuff in it without it, like, being the main thing. With YA, if you're going oh, to mention or include... Yeah, it is. If you're going, if you're going to mention or include certain kinds of topics, then those need to be the topic Maybe and it's not... 
casually have someone dealing with something that doesn't get unpacked anywhere. Maybe. As, as like a general idea. Maybe it's just because, oh, that's not true. Hmm. Goodreads says this was published in 2020. Oh, no, 1997. I was going to say, Goodreads, you are You probably wrong. found a, a reissue. The most recent edition, they republished it. It's it's the Google search Goodreads, like, top oh, result. Well, <laughs> no, uh, I was like, I, I was reading this when I was maybe seven or eight. Also, um, I don't know if YA was specific, specifically a marketing category in 97. Like, that's um, the kind of thing that emerged and got more specific in mm-hmm. the mid to late 2000s. Yeah. Um, so it's possible that when this was written, it wasn't categorized. But now that the categories exist, it has been placed under YA. Yeah, that makes sense. I think appropriately so. I mean, it, it makes sense. It is just interesting to me because, like I said, I, I read this first when I was seven or eight, mm-hmm. um, which would have been, yeah, 98, 99. Um, yeah. And to me, this was like such an adult book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which which is, I think, maybe a little weird because my first book I ever remember finishing was the Paxonarian series. Um, yeah. And this felt more adult than that. <laughs> And, you know, so my perspective is probably a little bit skewed, but... No, your, your brain's an interesting place, but yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, but the 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 way that everything... And, it, and everything, there is murder in this book, not... No spoilers, but, um, you know, our, our main character makes it through okay. Because um, we're in this section, so spoilers are allowed. Um... And also the point of this, uh, what the, the, like the whole point of like the thousand and one nights is that this is how she uh, doesn't die. Yeah, that's true. Like that's what's being retold. If you know what the source material is, you know she lives. But uh, there, there is actual murder in this book. There is infidelity. There is um, uh, sickness that results in disability in a couple of cases, actually. Um, mm-hmm. there is like the threat of <laughs> problem of like problems, you know, there's the whole hubris, like your, your life will get worse the more you fail at whatever particular task you're like, there's, there are things in this book that if they were detailed in a different way would be incredibly potentially harmful, um, if someone is susceptible to the topic. Mm-hmm. But they're not. It's it's all very sterile is the wrong word. Very matter of fact. Very like, storybook. okay, and this happened and this happened. I mean, there's a reason I use the phrase storybook, because yeah. if you've ever read a fairy tale, they have some very uh, dark and traumatic things in them. But yeah, they're point. usually they're usually presented starkly. Like, yeah, stark. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. There, there's no, there's very little fluff. There's very, when there is editorializing, it is not on the topic of the trauma, um, generally speaking. Um, yeah, I just grabbed my copy. This book is 218 pages and I have the small book. <laughs> if this were a large hardback, it'd be maybe 100 pages, I think. Uh, they usually don't 
they usually scale the printing so that the pages are, are close. But yeah, the the official length we've got listed um, from the publisher is two twenty one. But yeah, okay. it, yeah, um, yeah, it is a short, small book, but a lot happens. Yeah, and part of why so much can happen is that everything that happens happens precisely and starkly and it circles i would say it circles back to ideas repeatedly rather than drawing them out in any one moment yeah very true so like things come up over and over again but each time uh they are touched upon lightly and that makes infidelity I mean, for this, we have spent most of our time not talking about the literal infidelity, because as much as it drives the story and you cannot have it without it, it is very much in the background and used as a justification. But the actual incidents are two extremely brief incidents very early on in the book. And, and that's it. On to our final topic, which is misogyny. So, uh, when you someone has a plan that they're just gonna murder a bunch of women one every month until a condition that may or may not ever get fulfilled is fulfilled, probably have some misogyny going on. Uh... Luckily, we have a, uh, not luckily, luckily isn't the right word. There is what I think is one of the most succinct and fascinating examples of misogyny twisting a reading of a situation, like, in real time, happening Mm -hmm. when the brothers of, um... I believe it is uh, Shazaman's wife. I didn't think it was Sherer's, but it might have been. Sherer's wife was the sister of the deposed former kings. Okay, okay, it is Sherer. Shazaman married somebody else, and I don't think we ever actually get her identity or or, anything. Okay, okay. Um, So... Uh, Scherer, his wife had four brothers, um, at least two of whom are, I think two of whom are, like, adults in their early 20s, five. one of whom is five? Okay, and then the youngest- You forgot is- the youngest brother, just no, like I did. Thought, no, I thought there were four and the youngest, or four including the youngest. No. I forgot that it was four and the youngest. <laughs> I was thinking of the youngest. But anyway, some it's, of them the are... the first and third agree, and the second and fourth always agree, and the youngest oh, is and left then, out. Okay, okay. Yeah, so... Sorry. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> there's five of them. One of them's still a kid. The others are um, adults in the culture in this book. It sounds like maybe one or two of them are still technically, like, elder teenagers. But anyway, they are mm. they are adults... And they keep forgetting about the fifth one who is not. Um, 
and some of them are married, but not all of the older four are married. And there's this scene where when they find out that their sister cheated on her husband um, and had been trying to have her lover um, kill him and, and take the throne, they, over the course of this conversation, which, you know, with the storybook style might have been condensed a bit, but regardless of whether it's condensed, in the space of this single conversation, they talk themselves from, wow, it is sure bad that she did this, <laughs> to, it is, to, like, not being able to give her credit for her own agency in this situation and they talk themselves around for until it is her husband's fault that she cheated on him and tried to have him deposed because he gave her too much freedom and like a woman she didn't know what to do with it so she tried to kill him yeah and which ultimately then- made it in their words, his fault for not governing his wife because women are weak. Right. And, you know, leads the ones of them who are married to pledge that they will totally not do this with their wives. And then the ones who aren't married yet to pledge what they will do to the wives they don't have yet so that this doesn't happen. It's like, ah, you know, I definitely won't give my future wife any freedom because that'll solve it. I just um, I just double checked. The youngest brother is fourteen. Mm-hmm. The okay. older two are married. The fourth brother is not. The third brother is not specified. Okay. So we have two adults. Two adults, one definite teenager, and then two that could be teens or early twenties. Yeah. Um more maybe maybe a little older. Um mm-hmm. and and we're not sure about those middle two. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, just here's the thing. Cause like there's kinds of misogyny where it could have stopped like, uh, like a woman, she did a betrayal. And that's one kind of misogyny. Like that's a particular flavor, but the, the flavor where she isn't, really the one responsible because she had too much freedom that I'd never seen that articulated before. <laughs> like, I recognize that I have run into it right. elsewhere. <laughs> but getting to see like the the pattern, the thought process of how one ends up there, or one way that someone can get end up there, um, was fascinating because I hadn't like seen that train of thought before. Yeah, and then you know, obviously, we have the style of misogyny that the king is doing, where he like there's a line in the book about how. He totally wasn't sexist until he uh, decided to do this thing where he keeps killing women. But before that, <laughs> not sexist. His kingdom was totally fine uh, for women. Is great. Um, like <laughs> there's a, there's a line to that effect. 
Well, about we um, also see the shock in the Poplis, and yes, like this is not the type of thought process or behavior that anybody was expecting. Right? <laughs> no, if he if he had before this moment endlessly been a cruel tyrant, they would not be in that courtyard to see if she was alive because they would have thought the options were that he kills her publicly or he kills her privately. But no matter what, she's dead. Instead, they're waiting to see what happens because, yeah, you're right. He hasn't done something like this before. Like, I mean, I said that with a little bit of, like, tongue-in-cheek of, of course, he didn't, he wasn't at all sexist before he decided to do this. Because you you don't get there unless you have something that lets you not think of them as people. And to be fair, the reason that he didn't think of them as people is the massive power gap. And, you know, he's like... That's the thing is, I don't actually think that that is true. I don't think at any point that he is not thinking of women as people. You think he hasn't thought of... I think he literally didn't think it through. I think he literally just said, I have to have a wife because I do, and I need to provide heirs because I'm the king. Those are the same reason, by the way. Yes. Uh, And I don't want to be cheated on again, which means I can't continue to have the same wife because then I'm at risk. So I have to get a new one, but Mm -hmm. I need to not just divorce a bunch of people. So they have to die. And I think that that is the farthest that his thought process went. And he didn't even consider like a person or even a particular woman. He just went, this is the logic train that I'm going to follow because I don't see a way out. No, that end of thought process. There was no, there was no even that women are xyz it was literally just i've been betrayed once i need to not be betrayed again Mm -hmm. done (laughs) yeah but those brothers oh those brothers are a fully different story oh yeah yeah unequivocally um yeah it's it's one of those things where like trying not to read other versions of this story into this one because you're right his actions in this one don't necessarily have to have anything to do with gender. Um, other than that, he needs a partner who is female and capable mm-hmm. of giving him a child. Yeah. Other than that. But it should be noted, he didn't even think that through because she explicitly will not give him a child if she dies every day. That's a good point. <laughs> like he this is why this is why I say there was no actual thought <laughs> follow through at all to either a positive or negative conclusion. There was literally just the panic and then the decision and that was it. <laughs> yeah. Like he explicitly did not even bother to go far enough. Oh yeah, cuz this to book think doesn't of a even... wife as just being a a birthing person. Oh yeah, didn't like, even this, go that far. This doesn't talk about heirs. You're right. No, like we kind of assume that the reason he'd want a wife. I mean, the reason I mean, he'd want a yeah. wife is that he is a man attracted to women, and he does not want to be denied sex just because he doesn't want to be but vulnerable. That's not the logic that he puts out there. What he says no. is, "I'm a king," which means Kings that I have to have, have a, a wife, and the reason for that is because you have to produce an heir. Like that right. is the like pretty worldwide. Your ruling partner has to be able to provide a child. 
Right. To continue in the, in the, the dynasty. In the kind of setup where that matters. And this definitely yeah. does seem to implicitly be one. Yeah. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. But, but right. But he doesn't even he doesn't even think that through. He literally just goes, I have to have a wife because I'm supposed to. Not because I want one, but because I have to. I'm supposed to. That like that is his actual wording. Yeah. And end of end of thought process. Nothing else. No, you're yeah, I, I do I do think you're right on that. But uh And especially because there's no there's there's no oh but but you know, women aren't people, so I can't blah blah blah. Literally the first time he is face to face with a real life person who has a consequence that he has set down, he panics. Mm-hmm. And then finds a way to not do the thing. Like, no follow through, no mistreatment, no dismissal, nothing. Just, oh God, what have I done? This wasn't how, what, how I meant to treat this person. It's like the step one, uh, I'll figure out step two later, step three, profit, yeah. except step three is it, it was not step, get cheated it was, on. <laughs> it was step one, pain, step two, panic, step three, oh God, oh no. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey there, Screen Beans. Have you heard about Screen Snark? Rachel, this is an ad break. They aren't Screen Beans until they listen to the show. Fine. Potential Screen Beans. You like movies and TV shows, right? I mean, who doesn't? Screen Snark is a casual conversation about the movies and television shows that are shaping us as we live our everyday lives. That's right, Matt. We have a chat with at least one incredible guest every episode, hailing from all walks. We've interviewed chefs, writers, costumers, musicians, yoga teachers, comedians, burlesque dancers, folks in the film and TV industry, and more. We'd be delighted for you to join us every other Monday on the Certain POV Podcast Network. Or wherever you get your podcasts, fresh and tasty off the presses. What? But that's no, that's not. Can I call them screen beans now? Fine. Screen beans. So tune in and we'll see you at the movies or on a couch somewhere. Cause you're a whole screen beans now. You will be mine. On to the wrap-up and ratings for our gratuity rating for the power imbalance. Um, hmm. I've... Okay, I think it is at least moderate. I... Yeah. Have read books with way more severe and obvious and complicated power imbalances. Yeah, I don't. And I don't think this, this is severe, but I, I agree it's it's uh, moderate. Moderate. All right, infidelity. Oh. I'm I'm torn between mild and moderate because the actual thing is really brief. Like the reaction and the hurt to it drives the rest of the book, though, which is why I'm torn. Um. Well, the the themes of it mildly cover the entire book. Hmm. I think think infidelity we we have to look at the fact that this was not an ongoing theme. Mm Mm-hmm. It was They don't keep bringing it up. 
they don't keep bringing it up. They are reacting to the fact that it happened. But it's not like a thing that everybody is just kind of thinking about. Like, no, Mm -hmm. it happened and the king is making decisions because of it. But it's not a thing that characters are like pondering or are affecting their actions. At no time do we see anyone other than the king even like put weight into their own actions based on this thing. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not even why our main character does what they do. It's not about that thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm good with mild. Okay, I'm okay with it's that. It's not backstory because we have no, the actual we scene see of it. it. Yeah. yeah, but I'd say mild. Okay, misogyny. Um, I would have said severe, but you talked me out of the... Th- the reasons I would have said severe. Oh. Um, so I'd say moderate. Uh, we yeah. have one very specific scene and a bunch of actions that are then like driven by that scene. And I think that scene maybe falls under the category. I think you're right. Cause I think that scene maybe falls under the category of we, it was so. Um, Egregious. ABC and over with. And not this, like, long... And also, it's the people talking about doing it and not, like, seeing someone go through it. Yeah, moderate. Okay. All right. Is the trauma integral, interchangeable, or irrelevant? Uh, The power balance. That is pretty pretty integral, I think. I think if you remove the factors that cause it, you no longer have the same story. Yep. Same for infidelity. Um. Okay. It's the is the infidelity interchangeable? With the caveat that yes, we understand it's retelling a specific story, and that specific story has this event. If we pretended we weren't necessarily retelling this story, is it interchangeable? Could it have been a different thing? I can't think of another thing that would have caused the reaction from our king. Okay. Like speci- Not without introducing a whole bunch of other stuff that doesn't have anything to do with it. Yeah, because the the particular reaction emotionally that happens to him combined with the limitations he decides to set on future relationships, mm-hmm. um, they're so pointed. It would be hard. Like the closest I think you could get would be like generically replacing it with betrayal. But that, but even then, like it would it have to be a particular sense. type of betrayal, and I, yeah, and I don't think that's differentiated would, enough yeah, to matter. It would, it would, okay. it would end up being the same thing. We're just labeling it differently. Okay, um, I agree that it's integral. Uh, the misogyny, interchangeable. Yeah, yeah. They have a, they do things because of that, mm-hmm. but it didn't well, have to be that. They they logic it out because of that. It could have just been straight right. up revenge. Tra- like honestly Sorry. they they do things using that as a justification yeah but they, they could have literally just said you wronged us and done the exact same thing yep okay how was the trauma treated was it treated with care i definitely almost skipped that section by reading the next thingy <laughs> oh, uh, no. okay <laughs> power imbalance is that treated with care I want to argue. I yes, I'd say yeah. Like this is treated like so much with care that I suspect 
like some of our audience might look at that and go, oh, yeah, that is a thing. <laughs> like, well, and it's, I, the, the, it's consistent and subtle. Yeah. And without, there's other things we could have called it. Without spoilers, I think the thing that really makes it really care and not just enough is the fact that the person who has the power um, notices when they take advantage of it and then tries to correct it as best they are able to. They yeah. notice it is there and are like, oh, and then do their best. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, infidelity. <sighs> yeah, enough. Because, like, it doesn't sugarcoat the main thing. And the grief and stress reverberates through the book. Yeah. But... Yeah, I, I I feel like enough. Um, misogyny. There's no care. There's no care, but it all... Well, that's not true. We get the one scene, mm-hmm. and then we don't have that particular discussion again. That's a good point. Maybe enough... Because, like, it's pretty stark it's pretty in that stark. one thing. Yeah, but it's not repeated and it's not... Again, we're not watching a person experience it. We are watching people mm-hmm. decide to do it, which is a little bit different. Yeah. I'm All okay right. with I'll enough. i say enough. Mm-hmm. All right. How clear is the moral directionality? Clear, muddy, or tangled? Uh, so clear is when uh, there's kind of one obvious direction of what the book considers to be good or bad. Muddy is when uh, we have no idea because there's a lot of things going on in a lot of different directions. And then Tangled is where there are characters with distinct and not, and like conflicting points of view, but all of them make sense and you could agree with any of them. Or not with any of them, but with a lot and of not, them. Multiple you could, of them. Enough of them. Conflicting yes. of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe, you know. So, I was like, I don't need to list possible examples. Uh, so how clear is this moral directionality? Um, This felt... <sighs> it feels pretty clear to me. Yeah, it feels clear. Um, Like one character clearly starts off in the wrong and then ends up a little bit better um and and also you can easily tell when a character is committing a mistake and things that are morally a mistake and morally a good decision like it's it's not Mm -hmm. ambiguous in the book yeah yeah I, I do agree that this is pretty clear. All right, the point of view for the trauma and aftermath. Okay, so I do not feel like this is a spoiler because it is literally the framing device. <laughs> okay. Um, Shahrazad is narrating this from the future, having survived whatever the story is that she's about to tell us. Yeah, but that's not what this is asking. No, right. But but right. the point of view is. She is telling us this from the future. So most of the book feels like 
a third person omniscient narrator but like i really like thought about the scenes because like you know in my review stuff i have to list what the points of view were um it's the omniscient part that makes me the thing is i thought about it and she's not really omniscient she just knows stuff that scheherazade would have known like a little bit later like after they'd gotten a chance to talk about it so are we just gonna put narrator for all of these then yeah, and like that narrator is, I'd say narrator and it's future Shahrazad. Um, yeah, but it's, it's not it's still the narrator, but it's not because it's not her in the moment. Yeah, it's not her in the moment. It's her later. I mean, it's it's just as much her as like during like Assassin's Apprentice. It was him. No, like, because we only had his viewpoint. We didn't have the others. Okay. Yeah, that's the difference. That's, that's a good point. This. But even then, you know, the younger brother probably like was in the conversation about that stuff and would have had reason to be able to convey it. So like like I, I thought about this is what I mean, I'm saying. Well I'm, but I'm just I'm arguing yeah. that that makes it the character viewpoint and not Sherazad. Sherazad is the character. No, she's not because she's not in every scene. That's that's what I'm saying. In those scenes, like, if we're no. saying it's the narrator, then it's the narrator. And no, it, it's it's the narrator. Okay, because if we're because it, if it's not the narrator, then it's not Shahrazad the whole time. That's what I'm. But saying. But the narrator is future Shahrazad. But that's not that's not how this works. <laughs> you can't you okay, can't fine. say that a person in a scene is actually the point of view because eventually later when it's not the same time like okay all right it none of other than the framing device none of it is the first person yeah um pretty much yeah it's the narrator um i just was admiring the way that all of the scenes are ones that older scheherazade could eventually come to know about oh no that's from very first hand sources good. yeah no that's that's it's yeah. very it's put together very well but that yeah. doesn't make scheherazade the character in the story is also the narrator like no it's an older version of her that is no longer in the middle of these events. That is a different yes. person. Okay. That's, if you want to note it that way, I'm, I'm fine with that. But yes, I think we're in agreement. Uh, for the trope spotter, uh, the cliffhanger. Uh, yeah. So cliffhanger is when you leave a story at some dramatic moment to be picked up later. Uh, like they do some at the end of TV shows, and this is a very high stakes cliffhanger. I was, yeah, I was like, gonna say this cliffhanger is not that. This cliffhanger is during the story. We have a right. ongoing cliffhanger. We don't actually leave. Yeah. So, okay. like, well, no, sorry. In this narrative, Shahrazad is telling a series of stories and keeps. Not finishing it. But we are not um, closing the book. No. Okay. No, we're not. I'm saying that okay. there's I'm saying that the trope that this book is using, that this entire story is about someone telling stories with a series of cliffhangers in order to stay alive. That's this story. Okay. So within the book, that's our trope. The book didn't okay. pull gonna, a cliffhanger. I'm gonna clarify that just a little bit for two mm-hmm. reasons. Mm-hmm. One is because that's not the definition you read me earlier. And two is because that doesn't make sense for us to pick it if that's what we're going with, in my opinion. I, the, we're keeping the, tro- I just want to clarify for our, our audience. Uh huh. The reason we pick this 
the cliffhanger as a thing is because Scheherazade's life is in a state of cliffhanger perpetually because yes. we don't know what's going to happen to her specifically. Sorry, it's not I'm not about saying the framing. There... It's not about the narrative device. It's about this character who may or may not live or die. No, so right? Yes. It. Okay. And sorry, there's a meta bit where the way she's trying to stay alive is by telling stories that she ends yeah, on cliffhangers. That's very cool. Yes, but that's, that's what I was trying to say. Okay, that's very cool. But that we, had is to, what I was we needed to set up the actual thing first. <laughs> that's all. I just want to make sure that we have said the actual thing that we are talking about, and then the cool thing is also part of it. Yeah, I did primarily mean the cool thing. But yeah, the fact that we don't know if she's going to die or not the next day at the end of the chapter. Yeah, that's in there too. That's that's a thing. Um, and favorite non-traumatic thing about the book. Is there one? Uh, no, there is. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of non-traumatic. Yeah. Um, I really like the Oasis scene. <laughs> um. Because, like, I was having a hard time caring about the other long story that she was telling. Like, I know it's the one that was keeping her alive, but we don't hear the middle of it. And so that, like, messed with my ability we to be don't? interested in. But I no, like, because it's, it's this super long saga where she's telling it for nights and nights and nights. And we don't hear the middle of it because that's what the tales of a thousand and one nights are, is like all these stories um we get the beginning i, I don't understand and we get the, that i we had all of the parts we just didn't get them written out as like 50 the, pages the, each there's implicitly more stuff that happens on other nights that where we don't have the book sit down and tell us the whole story anyway like that that is a thing that's fine i really liked the one-off story that she tells when they go to the oasis okay what was your favorite thing? Uh, my favorite thing is when... <laughs> um, <laughs> my favorite thing is when Sherryar says, Wow, that king's sure is foolish. <laughs> and Shahrazad goes, Yeah, good thing he's just a story character. And the king is like, Yeah, okay, whatever. Because these stories are explicitly for the people who bring them out of the chest. <laughs> And he knows, and you know he knows, and is thinking about that. Yup. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the storyteller's daughter. Um, in case you're new, we recently switched from fortnightly to monthly. Um, unless you're a patron, you can catch uh, more bonus episodes. So check out our Patreon page. But yeah. Uh, if you're a regular uh, audience member, we will catch you next month. And if you're a patron, we might catch you a little bit sooner.
All music used in this podcast was created by Nicole as Heartbeat Art Co. and is used with permission. Our transcriptionist is Heather. Follow her on Twitter at MamaDragon20. We're proud members of the Certain Point of View Network. Find all the CPOV shows at www.certainpov.com. You can contact us on Twitter at Books That Burn or by email at booksthatburn at yahoo.com. Please consider leaving us a tip at ko-fi.com slash booksthatburn or becoming a monthly supporter on patreon.com slash books that burn. All patrons get access to our upcoming book list, bonus content, including the second half of all interviews, and will receive a one-time shout-out. To get updates on our written reviews, recent episodes, and newly completed transcripts, subscribe to our fortnightly newsletter at buttondown.email slash books that burn. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a review wherever you're listening. This helps people to find the show. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks.